Um, you know, we, uh, you'll hear me say often about, you'll hear me talk about our core values. And one of the core values that we're trying to embrace as a church is this calling to be ambassadors for Christ. We get that from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, that says, We are therefore Christ ambassadors. It is as though God himself were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So it's this idea that God has called us to represent him in the world. And, and you know, these, these are challenging days that we are in. Um, this week has been... Uh, it's revealed some global fears and, and challenges. And, and, and you know, now more than ever, we as Christians planted right here in this church ought to be bolder and more faithful ambassadors than ever before. You, you know, here's something that, that I've noticed with God's people all through history. When you go through a tough time, when God's people responded in the right way, now sometimes in tough times, God's people didn't respond in the right way, but when they responded in the right way, definitely they would look to each other and rally together. That's a good thing. They would... Um, they would pull their resources together. They would connect with their allies, if you will. But, but one of the things you see from God's people, when they responded to tension, to tension in the right way, they very clearly looked to the Lord, called out to him, and looked to him for help. That, that was prevalent. They looked to God. And, and you know, as I look at the, the tensions in the world that we're, we're seeing right now, uh, I pray that, that, that the lost around us, those around us see us looking to the Lord for strength, for provision, for rescue, for hope. Um, this is what a lost world should see in the life of an ambassador for him, that we look to the Lord, that we call out to the Lord in prayer, that we seek the Lord's face. And, and here's what I want us to do. I want to challenge our church to pray specifically for Israel, for um, those that are in, in the Palestinians, those that are in the Gaza Strip, and, and just the tensions around the world. And so I'm going to put these on the screen, and I want you to either write them down, take a picture of the screen, um, whatever you, you need to do to remember these. But um, now these are on our church social media uh, places. I posted them on mine. And so you can find these things. But, but here's what I want us to pray specifically. First of all, and we're going to, and I want to just let, let us know, at the end of the service, this is how we're going to end the service. We're going to end the service flooding these altars, praying for these four things. And the first thing is this. I, I want to ask you to pray now that God would have mercy on the millions who are suffering and comfort those who have lost loved ones. And it'll be on the screen. Take a picture or you can write it down. I'll give you a minute. But, but you know what? Right now, this week, there will be people around the world that will need prayer over the loss of loved ones. The, 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 we, we need to pray for people that are suffering 
today. We, if you've seen the news, you know that that's taking place now. And we need to pray. Um, we need to call out to the Lord for those that have lost loved ones. Oh, my goodness. Yesterday at a wedding, I held my granddaughter. And I, I think about those that have lost grandchildren in some of these atrocities today. I, I don't know that I have a category in my mind and in my heart for that. But we need to pray for the Lord to help them. Second thing, we need to ask God to bless the efforts of those distributing aid. Pray that God will provide opportunities for them to share his love. One of the things I love about being a Southern Baptist is, is we have missionaries in Israel. Uh, we have missionaries that are called to Palestinians, that speak their language, that have a heart to, to share the gospel with them. And, and the thing that, that I love about being a Baptist is we, we donate a lot of money as Southern Baptists to, to, to set up systems in place and, and through Send Relief and through our IMB and our missionary uh, pipelines that we have. Let's pray that those that are on the ground, we have people in the country, in that area that are distributing aid, but let's not just pray for them, them as they distribute aid. Let's pray for opportunities to share the gospel with people. Third thing, while the nations rage, God is still in control and near to all who call out to him. Let's not forget that. That God is on the throne, he's in control. Pray that God will use current events to draw the lost into a relationship with his son. And one of the things I don't want us to forget, that the greatest need is not freedom from war or loss. The greatest need in the world is lostness. Is, is the revelation, is, is, is their eyes opening to their sin and, and to, to the need of Christ. And so let's pray that, that, that what God does through this time, both here in America and around the world, that God uses this situation to help people see Christ. Pray, let's pray that specifically. Fourth thing. Let's pray that believers in that area and, and for us too. That, that, that we'll, we'll have attitudes of peace in the middle of this current situation. You, you know, we should overflow with hope, like um, Romans 15, 13 says, that we as Christians, we overflow with hope. And, and you know what I'm praying? Let's pray that the lost will ask leaders in that area of the world, but also us, about the peace that we have in times of trouble. Because you know what? We are, we are called to be the kind of ambassadors for Christ that, that represent Jesus to the world. These are four ways I want to ask our church to specifically pray as we see these world events taking place in front of our eyes. Now, now this morning we're in Acts chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, turn there, because this, this passage of Scripture really speaks to our, us in this moment. It really speaks to our hearts and our lives. And, and let's stand together. If you're visiting today, we have a practice. And, and let's stand and we're going to read God's Word together. And, and it's just a, a posture that we have. We're not trying to be like some go through the motions or, or like 
religious ritual people. But we do have a practice of standing in honor of the Word of God. And it's just a simple way to say, God, this is your word, and we just acknowledge your, your word to us. And, and after, after I read the Bible, I'm going to state the obvious and just say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you'll just respond together, praise be to God for his word. And we're going to read, we're going to be all in, in pretty much the whole of Acts chapter 4, but we're, together we're going to read verses 1 through 4. So let's look at it. Verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. May be seated. Now, now, uh, for the next three weeks, we're going to be in the book of Acts. And I hope that you're in our Bible reading with us because it's, it's so very incredible to um, to read through the Bible together. That's what we're doing as a church. We're reading through the Bible together. And I, I encourage you to jump in with us where we are because every week we're going to be preaching on a passage that we've read. And this morning, we had Acts chapter 4. And, uh, and I think it's valuable. Let me just say a couple of things real quick about how to interpret the book of Acts. Because Acts is, is, is interesting. Let's understand the context of the book of Acts. Because in that book, you see the church is, is, is young. It's just started, and it's growing massively. Like we read today, 5,000 people came to Christ in this moment. And, and they're, they're experiencing these growing pains. So you have to understand that about the book of Acts. Massive numbers of, of Jews are being saved. Massive numbers of Gentiles are being saved. So with that comes this tension, and, 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 and you have huge challenges coming to the surface. There's, there, there's cultural challenges. There's racial challenges. There's historic theological challenges that as these people come together now as a family, and it's strange, and it's, it's tense at times, and they're trying to get along, and you see these tensions unfold in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is growing people and, and, and growing the church. And this is often messy. And, and we feel this at times as, as our church has grown. And we got to figure out how to take care of one another, how to, how to gather together. And this is what they're figuring out. And it's growing pretty rapidly. And they're having to feel these tensions with that growth. Now, one of the things that's important to process in the book of Acts, and, and, and I want you to hear me here because it's, it's important to not misunderstand me, and I'll try not to miscommunicate, but the book of Acts is descriptive about some things, but it's not necessarily prescriptive. Now, here's what I mean. There are things that you read in the book of Acts, and, and, and you, this is what happened. It describes what happened, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're to do that as a Christian. For example, uh, you see in the, early in the book of Acts as, as they needed a new leader. Uh, the one, Stephen was killed and they needed a new leader. And so what, are they, what do they do? They get some guys together and they drew lots 
to see who became the leader. That's what they did. It was descriptive. Now, I, I would argue that you probably ought to sharpen that process. Like when you're looking for a pastor, you don't roll some dice and go, hey, let's see who we get. Oh, we got Chris. Awesome. Well, you're stuck with me because the dice landed that way. You know, uh, we probably ought to sharpen that practice. There's also a, an, an instant in the book of Acts that um, it's one of my favorite chapters. You're going to see it here pretty soon, Acts 19, where Paul was in Ephesus. Super cool things happen. The Bible says God was doing extraordinary things through Paul. And one of the things that he did is, is, and the Lord led him to do this, he had these handkerchiefs that he would, I guess, wipe his nose. He would wipe them and then they'd give them out and people would be healed, right? That was a thing that happened. Now, I've not felt led to start a handkerchief ministry at the church and give, blow my nose in them and give, hey, give these to your friends, I've not done that. So, so you have to process what is descriptive. Now, I'm not diminishing what God did, so help me. I don't mean to do that. But what, God did a really cool thing there. But that doesn't necessarily mean we should practice those things. But you have to think. And as you read the book of Acts, you have to process what is, because some things are descriptive, but they're also prescriptive. You should do that. And so you have to learn to process. And, and the way to understand that is, and I, I've just described them as, as you got to look for those things with sanctification evidence. There's, and, and here's what I mean by that. Sanctification is, is growing. As you grow up in your faith, you're sanctified. You're more like Jesus, and, and you're becoming more like Christ. And there are, there are things that you see in the book of Acts that produce this historic sanctification evidence. It's not just in the book of Acts. It's all through the Bible. You know, and so it's valuable to process, process that these, in these ways. You see things like faith growing. You th see things like prayer. You see things like Holy Spirit strength. You see boldness. You see unity through the conflict as they come together and work things out. You, you see them coming together to, to tackle problems and learn from one another. You, you see them building the church, which is a calling that we have to, to build the church. In Acts, the church is very young, and they're trying to figure things out. And God invites us into the tension of trying to figure those things out. And so you see this sanctification taking place, you also see this very clear boldness with the gospel message. And I would say to us, this is, this is both uh, described and prescribed, because God has called us to be bold. And I would say to our church today, we have got to become bolder than we are today. And I want us to hear that. When I look at our world, God is calling us to a greater boldness with the gospel message. We've gotten a little comfortable. And many of us are silent when it comes to representing Christ with our mouths and our lives. Now look back at Acts 4. And let's notice this and let's kind of lean into this. As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed 
because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, now it's fascinating as you look at this passage because the Sanhedrin was the highest Jewish council in the, in the first century. And they had 71 members who presided over, over, who was presided over by the high priest. And, and it include, included the, 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 the Pharisees, which were the conservatives, and the Sadducees, which were the liberals. And, and the, the Pharisees were those that believed in the resurrection. And the Sadducees were those religious leaders that didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad. You see, they were, you get that? Oh, that's a bad joke. So, um, but but the, the, the Pharisees, Jesus was a Pharisee because what did he teach? He taught the resurrection was real. And, and the Sadducees didn't believe that. And, and it's interesting as, as these guys came together, these were the very people that put Christ on the cross. And literally, this is a couple of months later. Here's Peter coming face to face with the very people that crucified Christ. And, and they're, they're, they're annoyed, it says. They're annoyed that they keep talking about Jesus. Because here is two months later, we killed that guy. We, we put him in a tomb. But, but we, he keeps coming back up. And here is Peter bringing Jesus back up right before their face. And, and so what's happened is, is they, they, they went to them, it's evening, and they're like, who are you? What, what are you doing? All these people are gathering and they're believing in Jesus. You're talking about the resurrection. So they grabbed them and they threw them in jail because it was night. Can you imagine Peter and John sitting in jail that night going, well, uh, John, we might be in trouble, big boy. Um, these are the guys, we know how this story ends. I can, I can imagine them going, what do we say tomorrow? What are we going to do? Uh, what, 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 what are we going to say? And I can imagine them going, well, hey, buddy, we made it two months longer than Jesus. Good run, man. It's over tomorrow. Look at what happened in verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, now, what were they talking about? It's in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John had gone into the temple. There was a man there that had been uh, uh, crippled from the time of his birth. And, and Peter looked at him and said, hey, in the name of Jesus, I don't have any money to give you, but get up and walk. And the man was healed. And people were like, oh my goodness, we've seen him since he was a little boy and he's crippled and now he's walking in. What in the world? Every, and then Peter's like, hey, Jesus did this. He pointed to the resurrection and people are like, I'm believing that guy. I'm following Jesus because I've seen some power in their lives. And these rulers are like, what in the world? By what power, by what name did you do this? Look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, 
If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it, all, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Now, now this doesn't sound like the scared Peter that was there two months earlier. That, that took off. This, this is like bold Peter. He has this powerful moment, and, and, and he basically says, hey, Jesus healed that guy. Remember Jesus, big boys? Hey, fellas, remember Jesus? Um, and the one you crucified, the, the one that God raised from the dead? Now, now, if these Pharisees had the opportunity, uh, these are smart guys, okay? They, they, they could have very easily said, what are you talking? He's not, he, we killed him two months ago. In fact, his tomb's over there. They, they, they could have just gone and produced a body. Oh, wait. They couldn't produce a body. Why? Folks, Jesus rose from the dead. They couldn't, do, they couldn't produce a body. And, and then look at verse 11. Like Nathan mentioned earlier, uh, um, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders, which has become the cornerstone. See that word cornerstone? They understood what that meant. The cornerstone is the foundation, the way a building stands. And they knew that, okay, oh, oh, man. They're saying that Jesus is the cornerstone. You know why? Jesus is the cornerstone of life. He's the cornerstone of your life. It's, it's the reason that we can have confidence even in the moment of, in a time of, of global fear. Even when we face the reality of death itself, because Jesus holds everything together. Colossians 1.17, a great verse to memorize. Uh, it says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. It's Christ that holds us together. It's Christ that, that, that gives you stability in your life. It's why you need to look to Jesus no, no matter, uh, above everything else in your life, above your allies, above your own resources. You look to Jesus for sustenance, for power, for provision, for help, for wisdom, for guidance, for this moment in our lives. We look to Jesus. And this is why a lost world must see us looking to the Lord. And, and that's what Peter did. He looked to the Lord. He said, Jesus is the cornerstone. And look what he says in verse, verse 12. And there is, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which you must be saved. And, and you know what you see here? You see the gospel being proclaimed. And, and here's what's interesting as you look at this story laying out. Here's Peter and John, and they're, this is a tense time. This is a time to be nervous, right? But they're not. But but they're, but confidence is coming out. I can imagine on that night before as they're going, dude, dude, what are we going to say? There's some principles you see here that I think we need to catch, and, and let me just go through them pretty quickly because uh, the first thing you see is that everyday disciples, and this is what Peter and John are teaching us how to be as everyday disciples, learn to pray like it counts. 
you know, they're praying and they're, they're digging into, hey, Lord, help us. Lord, provide for us. Lead us. And, and, and I've learned that when I start to pray like it counts, and, and that's what I pray we do as a church, as we look at the situation in Israel and in Gaza and, and, the, and the, the fears in the world, we need to be people that pray like it counts. And to pray like it counts, there's several characteristics that you see all through Scripture that are kind of these sanctification moments. And, and that you pray with a gospel expectation. We've got to be praying for God to, to open people's eyes and open people's hearts. We pray with a gospel expectation. That's praying like it counts. We pray with a listening ear. God, we're listening to you. God, we're paying attention to your voice. We're not just going through motions when we pray. We're praying, paying attention, listening to the word of God, listening to the voice of God. And then also, when you pray, pray like it counts, you're praying with with trust during times of pressure. And this is what I pray we are, that even in moments of pressure, even in times of difficulty and in times of doubt, we pray like it counts. And even though there's pressure going on, even though there's struggle in the world, let me tell you something, we're going to pray with trust in the Lord. And the people that see us and the people that hear us as we live as ambassadors for Christ are going to recognize that we pray with a trust in the Lord. You know, I can imagine Peter and John the night before they're about to go meet with these guys that killed Jesus. Dude, I can imagine one of them saying, I don't know this, but I can imagine this. Can you imagine John going, hey, hey, Peter, remember what Jesus said? I don't know what we're going to say tomorrow, but hey, remember what Jesus said? Matthew actually wrote it down later. But Matthew wrote in Matthew 10, 19, and 20, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I can imagine John looking at Peter going, Hey, Peter, remember when Jesus said that he was going to give us what we need when we need it? Let's see what he gives us tomorrow. Can you imagine that night? How would you feel that night? You're facing the very people that put Jesus to death months earlier, and you're standing before the same guys. You know, you see about everyday disciples, and you see, what, you see this unfold right before their eyes, that everyday disciples not only pray like it counts, but everyday disciples experience God's promise of power through the Holy Spirit. And this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. You will experience the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And that's why I look at the things in the world going on, and I look at the, the, my Bible coming alive as prophecy seems to be unfolding before our eyes, and, and I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to panic. You know why? Because God gives us power to face anything that comes our way. And that's something I want you to recognize. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words, wisdom, and opportunities at just the right time. In fact, Luke 24, we read this this last week, 48 and 49, says, You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. He said to his disciples, But stay in the city a little city until you are clothed with power from on high. 
See, Pentecost had just happened in Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit had come upon them, and the power from on high had come on them, and that same power that came on them at Pentecost lives in us. It's called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will always give you the right words, the wisdom, and the opportunities at just the right times. And I want you to recognize, as ambassadors for Christ, you can trust the Lord to give you what you need. Let's not miss that. Look at verse 13. They, they shared the gospel. They pointed that no, no other, you can't be saved in any other way. Verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And what's cool about these guys is they would look at Peter and John, they're like, who are these guys? They're like bumpkins. They're, they, maybe their grammar was bad, or maybe they, uh, they were fishermen, we know that. And John, was, uh, John and James, his brother, were the sons of thunder. They, they were probably brawlers and fighters. And, and, and yet, here they are, looking bef- standing before all these PhDs, these smart men that have gone to school, and they're like, you guys are uneducated, you're ordinary, but then they thought, wait a minute, they'd been with Jesus. I want you to recognize how being with Jesus trumps every bit of worldly wisdom you can imagine. And we have philosophers of our day. But 1 Corinthians 1.18 says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. I want you to recognize how God gives us power to be his ambassadors. In verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They're looking at this man that was crippled from birth, and they're like, well, shoot. I, I mean, I don't know what to say. These educated PhDs are like, I don't know what to say. Um. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. I would have loved to have been in that meeting. As they're getting together, going, what in the world? Who are these guys? What shall we do with these men, it says? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. You know, it's interesting how these guys responded. What they should have done, they said, we can't deny this miracle. What they should have done is said, hey, boys, I think we're on the wrong team. I think we need to follow Jesus like them. Their pride wouldn't let them. They, they, they wouldn't allow. They, that's what they should have done. They should have fallen down and said, Lord, we worship you. That's what we need to do. That's what you need to do. If you, if you are questioning God or against him or, or not following him, this is why we've got to be bold because there, there's not multiple paths to heaven. It's only Christ who conquered the grave. That's why we've got to point Jesus, point the world to Jesus. That's what Paul and John did, or Peter and John did, excuse me. Peter and John did this. Look at verse 17. Look how they responded. But in order that it may not spread no further among the people, so they think they're going to stop this thing, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they're like, we're going to intimidate them. Because they knew they had the, they had the, 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 the intimidation card. I mean, we just killed Jesus two months ago. 
yeah, we can't find his body. We'll, not be, we'll, we'll just put that aside right now. Let's, let's intimidate them. Let's warn them. And let's warn them well. Um, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. If some authoritative figure in your life came to you and said, let me tell you something. You better shut your mouth. You better stop speaking about Jesus. What would you do? Would you go, oh, oh. okay, thank you. Okay, uh, um, what would you do? You know, we got to be bolder. Because I'll tell you what, that's happening in our world. We live in a culture that's like, stop talking about Jesus. And you know what I'm seeing in church after church? is caving to that pressure. That must never be said of us. Ever. And look what Peter did. But Peter and John answered them. And I love how he just turned it around. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God you must be the judge. Do you know how bold that is? Peter and John, who are uneducated men, said, hey, um, I know that you're the Jewish ruling council, but but you have to decide if you're going to listen to you or listen to God. What are you going to do, fellas? And then he says in verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I like these guys. And that's the kind of boldness that we need. Because you know what? We see God's word coming to pass right in front of our eyes. And if you've been halfway paying attention to to, to the Bible reading that we've been in, You can't help but see it. And that's why I believe right now more than ever, we've got to be bolder than we've ever been. More passionate than we've ever been. Look at verse 21. Now we don't know what this means when they had further threatened them. So obviously this didn't just satisfy them. They didn't go, okay, oh, that's okay. They further threatened them. They let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because all of the because because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So, so this 40-year-old, this over 40-year-old man has been paralyzed for 40 years, and they're like, 
we don't know what to do, so I guess we'll just have to let you go. And in the face of them saying, um, hey, uh, no, we're going to talk about what we've seen and heard, they just let them go. Can you imagine John and, and Peter going, wow, the Lord really is with us. Man, he's with us. Can I remind you something? He's with us too. So as you see fear gripping people and paralyzing people, you know what it should do for us? It should mobilize us. It should move us. It should awaken us. It should grow in us a passion to build this church like it's never been built before. It should, it should move us to, to be bolder with the gospel than we've ever been before. And let me tell you something. It's, it's no accident that God has led us as we move into 2024 to, to look at the gospel of John and prepare to share the gospel more clearly and boldly than we ever have before. That day's now. We're going to prepare for it, but that's now. Boldness begins right here. And I pray that God moves our hearts because, because you know what I see in third point is just clear if you have the notes, everyday disciples have ambassador boldness. And that's what I'm calling us to. That's what I'm committing to be in my life as your pastor, as, as with our staff, as for us to be a, a staff with ambassador-type boldness. And with that comes a, a need to prepare, to work, to build. And what's interesting is you see this passage unfold, this, this boldness just begins to and, and I want to have you, I want you to go read it later as you look at the rest of Acts 4, as, as, they, as the church comes together and they begin to sing praises and they begin to unify and they begin to build. This is what we've got to do. We've got to unify. We've got to build this church. We've got to be bolder than we've ever been. We've got to be unapologetic about our, our, our faith in Christ. And you know why? Boldness should be natural for us. It should be natural for you to be a bold believer of Christ. Boldness is natural because the resurrection is true. I want you to know that. The resurrection is true, folks. That Jesus really did conquer the grave. So, so as we look at even ultimate things, even our own facing our own mortality, let me tell you something. There's confidence with that because Jesus conquered the grave. And see, Peter and John were like, okay, if we die today, so be it. Because the resurrection is true. I'm not afraid of death. I pray that we grow spiritually to the point that we're not even afraid of the day that we die. And we look at even that and say, God, I trust you even in the moment of death. And if that's not a confidence that you have, come to Christ. Come to faith in him. Come to see him as your savior. And that will change everything for you. You could do that today. See, boldness is natural because the resurrection is true. But boldness is natural because Christ is the only way to heaven. Peter and John knew this. We know this. Look, there's people in the world that believe wacky stuff, stuff that doesn't even rationally make sense. 
And I want you to know, as followers of Jesus, we don't check our brain at the door. There's many reasons why we believe in the, in the power of Christ, the exclusivity of Jesus, if you will. But by that, I mean that, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We believe that. He's exclusive. Salvation is only in Christ because, let me tell you something, of all the beliefs in the world, there's only one who rose from the dead, and it's Jesus. It's why we've got to pray that people see Jesus at this time. This is why we've got to be ambassadors for Christ, that the world sees Jesus. And, and here's what I find in my own life, that, that boldness is natural every time I get face-to-face -face with Jesus. Because I'm like you. I, I struggle with doubts at times. I struggle with fears at times. But you know, when, when fear comes to me, my, my go-to spot is my back porch. We got this swing that I, it's really expensive to build. I had this kid build it. And it was, you, know, you ever build something that you're like, wow, that was more expensive than I thought. But cool, I've already committed to it. Um, but I love this swing. And it's on that swing that I go to. And I sit on that swing when doubts come. And I go, Lord, I need to meet with you right now. You know what God does? He, he uses his word and I meet with him. And that face-to-face -face time makes me go, oh, okay. Like Chad said today, did you catch that? So often we look at our problems and our fears and then consult our Savior. But when you look at your Savior, then you go, oh, Okay. Okay. That's why we need to be everyday disciples. And part of everyday disciples is we pray like it counts. So Nathan, I'm going to ask you to come up. Um, and we're going to we're going to pray. We're going to pray these four things. If you are able I want to ask you to come to the altar to pray. If you, if you want to sit in your seat, that's fine too. But I, but I want us to gather with some people and pray. You might feel comfortable gathering with some people around you and your, that you're sitting by, maybe your family or whoever you're with. But I want us to pray specifically for Israel and for these things going on in the world right now. Some can come and uh, some pray. Uh, in fact, let's just kind of stand and gather right now. And if you want to gather with people around you, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to gather and pray out loud. And I'll lead us in this time of prayer with these things that we're praying for. But I want to pray these four things specifically. They'll be on the screen, but I'll say them out loud as we pray, and then I'll close us after we pray for each thing. We're going to pray for all four. And I'm going to kind of bring these things before us, ask you to pray, and then I'll wrap up that prayer for that specific bullet point. So the first thing we're going to pray for, I want you to pray right now that God would have mercy on the millions who are suffering 
And let's pray for comfort for those who have lost loved ones. We've seen pictures of people that have lost children, family members, people that are held hostage right now. Right now, let's go and pray for God's mercy on them. Right now, go. Lord Jesus, we, we know right now there's, there's a prepared invasion of the Gaza Strip. And Father, there is going to be fierce fighting and loss of life. And people are going to lose loved ones. And, and Lord, we pray for these hostages. We, don't, we, don't, we know that that you are just and you hear the cries of the oppressed, even those that don't acknowledge you. But Father, I pray for those that are going to be, that are in pain right now and that will experience unimaginable pain for us. We, we, we pray for them. You would help them. Now I want to ask you to pray for God to bless the efforts of those distributing aid. We have Southern Baptist on the ground, and I love that God has called us to this moment. We've prepared for this before. We've prepared for this in advance. Pray that those of our leaders, and to Palestinians, to Israelis, and to Let's not forget Ukraine and Russia even. But let's pray that God provides opportunities to point to Christ as they distribute that aid. Pray that right now.
Lord, we have friends in Israel. We have friends who are Muslim there that don't know you yet. We have leaders that we have trained as Southern Baptists that know the language, that know the culture. Would you use them? Would you anoint the work of their hands? Would you help us to continue to provide for them through our offerings and gifts? Father, would you, would you use the prayers that we're praying right now for them? Would you somehow, even in this very moment, help them recognize that somebody is praying for them? Thirdly, while the nations rage, and the nations are raging, let's acknowledge that God is still in control and near to all who call out to him. Let's pray that God uses these events to draw the lost into a relationship with his son. And that's here and around the world that God would use us to draw, to point the world to the lost to Christ. Pray that right now. Pray God uses you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, use us at this time, in this place. Lord, use us to overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit.